get you, Barbara. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of Civil defense officials in Cumberland have told newsmen that murder victims show evidence of having been partially devoured by their murderers. Mass hysteria, what they think we're imagining all this? A ghoul can be killed by a shot in the head. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. This is the podcast of the dead with your host, the Nightmaster. This is the Nachtmeister with another episode of Podcast of the Dead. And of course, I woke up this morning and I said to myself, oh shit, I have a podcast to do. So, I got up. Fortunately, it was a day off. And I realized, I don't have a whole lot new, but I can look back at something. So I dug out my copy of Tombs of the Blind Dead. Now, as I said, I have the Anchor Bay edition of this movie directed by Amando de Osorio. It was, of course, a, a mutual production between uh, companies in, between Portugal and Spain. The uh, basic premise behind it is the uh, Knights Templar, having been condemned for witchcraft and such, were executed, left out to hang until the crows plucked their eyes out. And and were pretty much forgotten, except that they keep coming back to life and trying to devour the blood of the living. Now, the basic storyline. You've got two young women who are meeting again after a while out of contact. One's got this guy with her, the other one doesn't. They all decide to go on a camping trip. Or something like that. Uh, They decide to go on a, a trip somewhere, anyway. Well, while they're on the train, um, see, the younger one's name is Virginia, the older one is Betty. Um, Virginia is the one who had the guy with her, and Betty, of course, is busy kind of flirting around with the guy. Virginia gets upset, and eventually ends up jumping off of the train near this old medieval ruin. Now, the, uh people on the train pretty much will not stop near there. In fact, the engineer makes a comment to his son when they see Virginia heading out towards the ruin. She doesn't know what she's in for. Well, she gets killed during the night, of course. She camps out at this ruin, and these dead knights begin rising. Now, of course, you spot one weird thing right off, because one of the uh, headstones... Now, you in a medieval graveyard for at least nominally Christian knights, you expect crosses and such like that. But you see onks everywhere. This, of course, being the Egyptian symbol of life and all this kind of thing, gives you a little tip-off that things aren't quite right to begin with. And, of course, the people comment on this later on in the movie. We find out from the, uh, the man and the woman who actually made it to the other end, they're having breakfast, and discover the name of the place is Berzano, and it was a... Uh, I don't know if they re- if they find out right then or not about the uh, Knights Templar. 
I think the the waitress they're talking to mentions it, but they're not really allowed to talk about it because they don't want to lose their jobs. Anyway, they rent horses and go out to the ruin to find out what's going on. Uh, while they're there looking around, they're finding, they find signs that she was there, and they also find the police there because on the return trip, the uh, engineer spotted Virginia's body out in the field, called the police when they got into the station. Now, they're brought in to uh, identify the body, and you are, among other things, presented with the creepiest morgue attendant I think I've seen in any media whatsoever. I mean, he obviously takes a great thrill. I mean, he makes a big production out of there with this creepy little grin, like, "Ah, ready, ready, kind of thing, and throwing the cover off of their face all of a sudden so they can see what's going on. Now, the uh, gore effects, such as they are in the version I saw, aren't much. I mean, they've got all the the wounds and all that kind of thing, and you've got the little blood effect, the kind of the uh, tomato soupish blood effects, really. But this is an early 1970s movie, so you can kind of excuse that. But anyway, he does this big production to do this. I mean, he's really, you know, like I said, the real creepy grin, and he obviously takes great joy in his work here. Uh, but anyway, they do their thing, and well, they do get a bit aligned somehow along the way about the Knights Templar. So they go to this librarian who is a special or or a professor or something like that who is a specialist in medieval history and the like and spins this tale about the uh, Knights Templar who they in the movie oddly enough they I finally figured out that the words they were using to refer to them were guerreros orientales which is basically eastern warriors which kind of okay but of course, that's where they got their start, so that's all well, well and good. The parent story is that while they were in the East, they picked up uh, means of black magic and used that to extend their lives, and were treated to a nice lurid scene here of them doing their ritual, a bunch of the knights bringing this young woman into their temple there, and they have it set up. They put her on a St. Andrew's cross, and... A couple of the knights start riding back and forth and and like flaying her with swords and that, and they've done that enough. And all the knights descend upon her and start sucking the blood out of her. And it's... Interesting effects, anyway. Like I said, it's not really as realistic as, say, uh, Tom Savini's work in the Romero Dead movies, but you still get the kind of... Eh, Factor, you know, there's this one scene that was in the Anchor Bay release, and I've heard that there's even more of this kind of thing in other releases, and I will find out about that at some point and uh, bring it back along. But they've made a mock-up of this woman's breasts, and you've got this one scene where you've got this sword, you know, sinking into them, and it's it doesn't look quite so fake as you might think. I mean, given what else I've told you about the and, of course, they've got the blood pumping out of that. And they finally have all the scenes where they show them there to do the close-ups on that. And, you know, licking the blood from the wounds and all. But they're eventually excommunicated, tried, and put away. And, you know, hung up. 
left for the crows to pluck their eyes out and that kind of thing. The police inspector arrives, kind of dismissing his story, mentioning the possibility of a local smuggler who happens to be the professor's son using the stories to keep people away from their operation, which is happens to be in a village about six miles from Berzano. This leads the man and the woman to team up with the smuggler and his and and his girlfriend, and going to Berzano for the night to see what happens. Now, of course, they uh, go armed. Uh, the one guy decides the smuggler decides he's going to go looking around some. Uh, ends up getting Betty to go with them. Meantime, you have the little tension that most of these movies will introduce here, where the characters don't really get along, and so that starts helping to lead to the downfall of everybody involved. Well, as a matter of fact, while the other two are gone, uh, the smuggler's girlfriend is trying to seduce the one guy. Uh, the smuggler rapes Betty while they're out in, in the graveyard. And so, when the bells start tolling and the dead start rising, the smuggler's right there. Betty's running off. She's heading back towards the uh, where they had set up to, to uh, stay. So you've got this big scene with you know, the, the, all the Templar. This guy's here panicking because he's dead rising. Ah. And they you know, all... He's standing right next to one of the graves, of course, so it reaches up, grabs his foot, and that's it for him, pretty much. By this time, Betty's gotten back and is telling uh, Roger, the one guy, what's going on, because cause they, he decided to head out and start looking for them. Anyway, he sends her back into the one building. The one other woman follows her. He goes, finds all the Templars hunched over the, the, the smuggler, takes some shots at them, which, of course, does no good. And so he starts running back to the one place. The uh, Templars mount up on horses and start after him. Now, this is one thing that I could have mentioned earlier, but really comes into effect here. Now, they have the horses made up, you know, with the tabards, uh, not really tabards, but the whole, they have them all covered up so that they have that old look to them. Almost kind of looking like undead themselves, but that's not as effective as it is with the knights themselves. He does this thing with the uh, knights riding their horses, where it's, he slows the film down some. Or rather, so, well, he, well, when he's actually filming, he speeds it up so that when you watch it, they're slowed down a bit. So it's kind of, you know, not right, just like you would expect undead horses and undead riders to be. Anyway, the uh, women have locked themselves into the uh, building that they were hiding in, just like he had instructed them to. He gets to the door, starts beating on the door to, for them to let him in. And the, uh, Betty goes to let him in. The other one doesn't want to let him in because it'll let the, the, those things in. They get into a fight there with all this going on. He's out there banging on the door, gets his arm cut off by one of the uh, knights. Finally, Betty is able to prevail, get the door opened, drag him in. At this point, the other woman sees the Templars following behind, screams, and attracts their attention. And that's one thing, another thing that I haven't brought up until now. The big part of their backstory is that their eyes were plucked out by these crows. They're blind. They can't see. So they track everything by hearing. So far, so good. She screams. They all gang on her. Uh, Roger tells Betty about the... Uh, no, you're safe if they can't hear you. 
And then he dies right there. Now she's here trying to be quiet. Trying to be quiet. Trying to be quiet. And then, in the soundtrack of the movie, you hear first very silently, and steadily getting louder, a heartbeat. Her heartbeat! That's right, they're tracking her by that. So she starts running out, getting away, gets out into the field, where Virginia was found and where the train runs past. The uh, son stops the, the train this time, gets out to help her get on. They s the father sees the Templars ab approaching, starts yelling at them to hurry, and as is typical with uh, horror movies, and you see this a lot in this movie, by the way, they suddenly become the clumsiest people on Earth while the, the uh, Templars are catching up. The Templars end up uh, killing the one guy, killing the father. She manages to hide on the uh, coal car. But they're also boarding the train, and they start killing all the people on board and that. Meanwhile, the train has been left to coast. Gets into the train station, one of the conductors on the, the platform stops it. Finds Betty there, starts taking her away to the office to find out what's going on. And the other passengers just kind of looking on, go to get on the train, and... The movie ends with a bunch of still shots backing away from the train. You have the conductor and her screaming. You have all this screams and such in the background. And then you have this scene where when the Templar's hands falls over a bit of marble, and that's that. Now, the Templar's hands are pretty neat. You can tell that it's costumed people when you're actually seeing them, but the hands that they have, they're actually skeletal, which is kind of a neat effect on some bits of those where they actually have them articulated. Like when Virginia has the door barred when she's there earlier in the movie, there's this hole in the door and one of them's able to reach through and reaches down, grabs the bar, and pulls it off the door. And you know, it's pr pretty good for 1970s. Now, the look of the Templars is another neat thing. Now, if you've seen the uh, Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings movies, you know the Ringwraiths. Of course, you know how creepy and all they're supposed to be, but they're basically, basically just look like guys in black cloaks. The Templars in uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead, and as far as I know, all four of the Blind Dead movies, they have the look that I would love to have seen the, the, the Ringwraiths have. I mean, the, I mean, they have the cloaks and everything else, but they actually look old and decrepit, and they look like what you would expect from such things. Since the ring race are supposed to be basically undead anyway, it kind of fits. But it's a neat, neat neat look. And like I said before, the horses, they kind of have matching that. There's another weird thing that I spotted in here. You see it a couple of times in this movie, but the most out-of-place point is at the beginning. At the end of the credits, you know, they have got this music with going with scenes from around Berzano on it and they're going on and on the music is this kind of weird choral voice thing it's like they're all all that stuff like that and at the end of this and at one point in the movie they do the same kind of sound effect when you first see the Templars coming up and they zoom in on one and they like this is really scary well, they do this at the end of the credits, too, this 
but with the scene with the hand falling over a bit of marble. The Rah! And then they have the clip of Betty from the end of the movie screaming at it. And then they start the movie itself. And that's really kind of weird. So that is the Anchor Bay version of Tombs of the Blind Dead. It's an interesting movie. I Even though I pretty much spoiled the whole thing here, it's worth checking out because it's a neat, neat kind of concept. As soon as I have access to a uncut version of it, or at least a less cut version of it, I'll let you know. That's one thing about the uh, 1970s, early 80s horror films that came out of uh, Europe, is a lot of them were cut for different countries, uh, both for violent content and sexual content, and there was a lot of oddness going on with those in the course of that uh, time period. Uh, there's a book, I forget offhand the author's names, and I don't have it handy here, but do a, do a search for the title, Immoral Tales. Now, uh, there's a lot of uh, nudity in the pictures and such in the book, too, so, because a lot of it deals with the sex movies that came out of there around the same time. They've got big chapters on about uh, Jesus Franco and Jean Rolien and all these guys like that. So they have a lot of that content in there, and of course a lot of the movies that had you know, sex scenes cut into them in various places, things like that. It's a fascinating look at at the uh, exploitation cinema, I believe is what they call it, of the 1970s. And it, t- although the uh, movies like the uh, Blind Dead movies are a bit of a sideline, they do get mentioned, as well as some of the other uh, movies of the sort. There were several movies involving the undead, made by these various directors through this time, and I'll probably get to those at some point as well. I know of a couple of good sources to get the movies from, so... Hopefully I can keep up a weekly pace on this. I want to get a few more episodes in before I'm really, really comfortable with it. And I've been trying for half-hour shows, but I don't know that it's going to get there. But uh, So what I'm going to do is just... Uh, do what's comfortable. Uh, the last few have been fairly short, after all. This is probably going to be the longest one yet, uh, at least pre-editing. So, we'll see what I can come up with in the future, and this is the Nachtmeister. Have a good night. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Podcast of the Dead is hosted by the Noctmeister and produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. Spooky Swamp Song is available from Copacetics.com under a Creative Commons Attribution License. I'll be back to reinforce the windows and doors later, but you'll be all right for me.